it's not what I wanted. <laughs> so okay. I don't know how to, because it, it distorts my face and I don't think that's a yeah. good thing. Um, yeah, how do I fix that now? Background and filters, there we go, there we go. Ha, ah, there we go, now back to normal. <laughs> it was an experiment. Assalamu alaikum, dear sister, how are you? Alhamdulillah, alaikum salam, I'm doing very well. Good, good, good. I'm happy to see you again. And nice uh, looking looking forward to this um, next session. Inshallah. You ready to get started? I'm ready. When you okay. are, it's fine. Okay. Bismillah. Peace and blessings, everyone. I'm Aziza, and welcome to episode number five of Unraveling Truth with Dr. Omar Zaid. This evening, we are going to pick up where we left off last week, inshallah, with the mystery religions. Dr. Omar, salam alaikum. Malaikum, masalam, dear sister. Uh, this uh, topic of the mystery religions is a, is a massive thing. <laughs> um, it's a big place. Um, it's a, it, it is something which has affected all of human history, all of the history that is at least been recorded. There's no recorded history that has not been affected directly by the mystery religions. And the mystery religions are the, um, you can say this is the, the cult of the leaders, okay? And uh, there was a time in ages past when the cult of the leaders was also the cult of the people. This was not always the case, but, um, and now it is not necessarily the case. It, it is in a layered format, uh, but leaders was also the cult of the Peter time. Was not always. Okay. Uh, I'm hearing, I'm getting some feedback. Yes. Cause I'm trying to send the link to a couple of people. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah. I'm sorry. Right. I didn't No, I'm sorry. It's I okay. tried to turn the volume down. It was too loud. Is, is my voice coming through okay? No, okay. Your, voice is, your voice is fine. I just didn't want uh, to distract you by hearing my phone. That's ah, ah you did distract me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Naughty girl, naughty girl. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So shall we con continue? Yes. Okay. So what we, what we have with the mystery religions is a multi-layered um phenomenon uh there is as i was saying in ages past there was a unity of the mystery religions with the people not that the common people understood what their leaders really intended or what their scholars or intellectuals or priests really meant for example when you when you discuss uh, ancient egypt or mesopotamia the people in the government were one in the religion, but the levels of understanding were never really equivalent. Okay. Mm -hmm. What is told to the people is uh, generally something different from what is told to the uh, initiates of the religion. Now, when I say initiates, I'm talking about people who have been guided by the intellectuals and the spiritual leaders who either have constructed these religions or they have 
learn them intimately so that they understand every aspect of the religion. Okay. Now, the initiate, for the most part, there are different levels of initiation. The initiate, for the most part, knows more about the religion or the metaphysical implications of what the religion is meant to represent. Um, he knows more about it than the common person on the street, than the pedestrian. Um, but all worship together, they all go to the same temple, they all uh, sort of pray to the same god or gods. And um, in the old uh, world, there was always a chief god and many other gods. Usually these other gods were um, sons and daughters or cousins and nephews. They, they went into this anthropomorphic fantasy of uh, attributing uh, to God Almighty these human characteristics, you see. And it is from this that we get the, the idea of the, the Son of God that came into um, Christianity. Um, and if I, I can just digress a, a little bit since I brought it up, you see, this Son of God does not mean literal Son. There's no place in the scripture where it actually means literal Son of God. It is a phrase that means one who has completely submitted to, to God's will. So Son of God, Man of God are sort of equivalent in that sense. So when you say son of God in the, in the ancient uh, Hebrew context, you're talking about a prophet or uh, perhaps one who is not a prophet, but who is a companion to the prophet, whom the prophet considers to be a saint or a peer, you see. So that's what the phrase meant. And um, when, you, when you come, for example, to the Gospel of Barnabas, Barnabas, you see, Barnabi, son of the prophet, you see, that's where the name comes from. It doesn't necessarily mean a man named Barnabas, although there may have been a man named Barnabas. None of us really know, uh, but the the name of that gospel is a kind of a coded message because they had to use codes in those days in order Petronym? to in order to yeah in order to uh, protect themselves. So you have Barnabi. This is a message from the sons of the prophets. Okay, and the sons of the prophets were members of what they called the school of that. You had uh, young men and women in training at a school which was founded by one of the prophets, okay? So that's where it comes from. But in the mystery religions, they had a, a, a mirror of this kind of um, uh, school, and uh, this became uh, their sort of priesthood. Now, in those days, uh, you know, there wasn't this... Um, um, this practice of celibacy as such, although, although they had vestal virgins and all that sort of thing. But um, 
the the priesthood in those days was a collection of uh, uh, men who worshipped the same gods and learned the mystery religion precepts. So they were considered initiates or initiates in training. Uh, for example, I joined the Anthroposophical Society, which is a, a an initiate school uh, founded by Rudolf Steiner uh, about a hundred years ago, and I was a member of that organization. I officially had to be sponsored to join. My father-in-law at the time and I made a special journey to Dornach, Switzerland to enter the Holy Temple, which is called the Goetheanum in Dornach, Switzerland. And I was enrolled and he signed for me as my sponsor. And my name is probably still on the roll books there as a member of the society. And he was an initiate, so was his wife. And I married their daughter. And um, for 14 years, they trained me you see, they gave me special literature, which explained the inner meanings of the higher metaphysical aspects of anthroposophy, which we could call esoteric Christianity. It is not the same Christianity that people um, meet on the street or in their churches. This is the higher levels of meanings that uh, attend um, the Christianity. And what Dr. Steiner did was um, he established a very sophisticated metaphysical system which incorporated all of the aspects of the ancient mystery religions except human sacrifice. But even human sacrifice was um, uh, incorporated in terms of what you might call his approach which he called the Christian community, uh, his approach to the um, communion aspect, okay? So, you know, the, the, the story, the Christian aspect, the Christian story is eat my flesh, drink my blood, this sort of thing. And they have communion, they have the little uh, uh, piece of wafer and the Catholics believe that God actually is invested, you see, in this thing. And so they eat him. Well, this is uh, cannibalism, okay? And um, uh, Steiner had a different approach to it. Uh, I was a member of the Christian community, uh, the esoteric aspect of the Christian church in anthroposophy. And they had their own priest and they had a, a kind of communion sermon, ser ceremony. And in this communion ceremony, the priest would stop the, uh, the kutbah or the sermon. And there was a time set aside where everyone would stand up and the priest would come around to each individual and he would put his hands on the temple like this. And so his right hand would go on your left temple and um, uh, he would say, Christ and Christ in you. He'd look you in the eye and say, Christ in you. And then the respondent would say, the communionist would say, I may receive the spirit of Christ, you see? So this is a moment when, where the egregory, which is a, uh, a spirit form that is created by the spoken word, enters you, you see? And uh, this uh, creates a 
hive mindset amongst the community. So that's a kind of initiation. That's just a brief explanation of what these old initiation rites would do. So when a Catholic goes to uh, communion, it's an initiation rite, you see, and they are forming a consensus that then controls their entire mindset, you see. And this is just another form of propaganda because propaganda does the same thing. Uh, you repeat it, you repeat it, you repeat it, and the brain actually becomes habituated. There are neurological circuits that are formed and they then invest the entire brain with this, uh, this spiritualization, if you will, uh, of, the, of the mind. So this is, this is one of the manifestations of the uh, mystery religions. There are many other ways uh, that it is manifest, but that's just one. So when, you, uh, when they attend the communion service and everyone uh, eats this wafer, in some of them you actually drink a little bit of grape juice or wine, they're actually believing that they are communicating with God Almighty through this adventure and they believe that they are receiving the spirit of God or at least the spirit of Christ or whatever the case might be uh, whatever is their belief system so in this case it, it, in the Christians case it would be it would be Christ in ancient mystery religions it would be the spirit of whatever God that they were uh, eating we'll say and where this all began, you can take it back to the Dravidian religion, uh, the pre-Dravidian religion of the ancient cannibals that I mentioned before in one of our talks. They're still there. There are still tribes in India who still do this when they can get away with it. Uh, you know, of course, Hindus are very good at looking the other way when they don't, when they, when they aren't forced to, to actually say, hey, he's eating somebody, you know. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, we better do something about it or otherwise we're going to look bad. We're going to lose face. Um, no, in those days, in the pre-Dravidian days, we're going back 8,000 BC and probably uh, further, uh, the, the men of the tribe uh, would hunt uh, somebody and or invite him to dinner. Then they'd kill him and um, they'd eat him. You see, and there are tribes in India to this day that have a tradition of eating their dead aunt in order to honor her. Okay, and what they what they believed with this is that they they would they would imbibe the spirit of the person who had passed on. So if a warrior kills another mighty warrior, he feels himself invested with more strength if he eats that warrior. You see, and in some of their, and the spiritual aspect here goes a little bit further in the Dravidian sense. And this is where we come to the tongue. You see, the priest puts the, uh, the wafer on your tongue, okay? Now they allow you to put it on, but in the old days, you had to stick your tongue out uh, and they put it on there, you see? Well, in, pre, pre, in the pre-Dravidian religion, which preceded the mystery religions, Okay, the uh, the tongue of the dead man was cut out. It was dried in the sun and then hung around the neck as a necklace. 
And if you look at um, uh, uh, statues of uh, Shakti, for example, uh, you, you will see she dances with all these arms and whatnot. She's holding the head and she's sticking her tongue out and around her upper torso is a necklace of tongues. That's what they are. And the tongue, you see, the more tongues you had, the more spirit guides you had, you see. And they would tell you where the next victim was, you know, or the next, uh, you know, deer or whatever it is you were hunting that day. So you became a mighty hunter, okay? And this mighty hun hunter is attributed uh, in the Old Testament to... Um, uh, Nimrod, he was called the mighty hunter, you see, and the mighty hunter of what? And the mighty hunter of souls of men, you see. And so they believed that when you uh, killed your enemy or you sacrificed uh, this person and you ate them, that you actually became stronger. You became spiritually stronger, spiritually wiser. And, and, and if if not so, at least you were more feared, <laughs> you see. So <laughs> um, now I, I said all of that to introduce the fact that um, uh, uh, called Cain um, had, to, had to recreate himself after he murdered uh, his brother. Now, after that murder and his failure to repent, uh, he was subject to uh, certain curses, okay? I think I mentioned these previously. Mm -hmm. um, God would no longer talk to him. Um, the earth would no longer produce for him directly, you see. Um, and he was uh, cast out from the company of his father's family. That means he was thrown out from the tribe Okay, uh, and to this day, for ex example, if you go to the um, the First Nations people, especially those who lived on the plain, uh, in the plain the plains in America, if there was someone in their tribe who was considered to be unworthy, they would cast him out. You see, so this is excommunication uh, from the community of the righteous, okay, or those who were considered to be um, members, trustworthy members, okay. And, you know, the, uh, this, the Quran puts a lot of emphasis on this, this aspect of trustworthiness, you see. And now we're living in an age where almost nobody is considered trustworthy. <laughs> so everybody's been cast out in a certain sense, and they're trying to make a community out of untrustworthiness. <laughs> so anyway, Cain was considered untrustworthy uh, forever. He was reprobated. In other words, God decided his case, but he not just decided his case. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not only judged uh, Cain or Kabil at that moment, he set him up as a nemesis for mankind, you see. Um, and uh, so the people of Cain um, had, were identified by Prophet Isa, you see. And um, he said, you are of your, 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 your father, uh, uh, the devil, 
and he even called them at another time your father Cain. He called them after after Cain, after Kabil, a murderer from the beginning. You see, and um, so and he was talking to the Sadducees and the Pharisees, uh, the high priest of the uh, Jewish initiation religion. And I'll come back to that later, inshallah, because that's what they were. We saw that we can we see that in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, they they gave the people one religion while they practiced another in secret. You see, and uh, this is this is made very clear in the book of Ezekiel, and other prophets as well. And Jesus called them out for it. He called them out for it on the temple steps, and that's why they wanted to kill him. Okay because they are murderers, that's what they are. We're governed by murderers. We're governed by liars and murderers. That's what it is, that's what the world system is. So, but where did this world system start? It began, it began in the civilized period, in the historical period, and I'm including the scriptures as history because they're, they're para-historical. They don't give you all the details, but they give you the archetype. Okay, and the archetype explains the truth. It doesn't necessarily explain exactly who Kabil was, although some people think that they know who his grandsons and grandchildren were eight, ten generations later, you see. Um, but it begins with Kabil. Okay, not just with the written record that man have, because we, this is why we have revelation, because without the revelation, we cannot uh, understand the written record that we do have. We'll misinterpret it, you see, and that's what most people do. They misinterpret the written records that we have because they don't accept the, revel the revelatory record, you see. I tried to bring them both together uh, in my studies and in my writings uh, as a synthesis. This is called knowledge synthesis. And this is a true approach to the Islamization of knowledge. Everyone's talking about IOK, IOK, but without knowledge synthesis, there is no IOK. It's just an abstract idea. It doesn't happen. And what they wind up doing because they are not capable of synthesizing the knowledge is they just add more religious ritual <laughs> to the educational system and you wind up with a greater legalist uh, approach. There's no Islamization of knowledge uh, that, that occurs because if you're gonna Islamize something, you're going to do it in, in a way that it becomes practical. And uh, we have 70 years of the IOK mo movement now, and they've been talking all this time about Islamic financing, and you still don't have a decent system where a, a Muslim from one country can transfer money to another country. You know, I'm talking about the pedestrians, the rich people can do it because the rich Muslims can do it because they're all liars you see, and they're working with the enemies, they're working with the Jews, okay? But the little guy on the street can't do it. He's, he's being oppressed, he's in a prison, and there is no Islamification, Islamification there. It just doesn't happen. They're lying about it, and I told you I already found out from <laughs> the, 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 the horse's mouth, the director of uh, one of these programs, he, he admitted to me in that airport journey, taxi cab journey, there is no Islamic finance. He said, he, he admitted to, to me privately. 
it, they'll never admit it publicly, okay, because it's too great a loss of face. But in any case, I said all of that because um, the 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 problem with the mystery religion is this lie. It is this lying because that's what it is. You see, Kabil because of the curse. Uh, he, first, he he had to, you know, murder and steal his way in the land of Nod, in the land of wandering, because there was no other way he could feed his family and uh, no other way he could feed himself. And after a while, that gets tiresome, you see. Uh, you know, well, let's see, who can we raid today? <laughs> you know, you you know, it's like, you know, a, a man's work is, is tiring. He needs a day off, you see, and uh, maybe a holiday every now and then. And whenever he had a little bit extra, perhaps he got used to the idea, hey, you know, this guy, he's, he's sitting there at the campfire thinking, you know, there's got to be a better way to do this. <laughs> and uh, so what happens was you take the, the, uh, uh, the mm, how, how should we say, the pre-apostolic uh, communities. Uh, and I know I'm dancing on uh, mm, thin ice here, but um, there were people who lived before that uh, we don't know about, many things we don't know about, okay? So I know the Quran says we all derive from Adam and Eve, but we don't know, we don't know how many civilizations came before, you see, this one, you see, the one I'm talking about during this Holocene period. So no one knows how old Adam may have been, you see. Was he a million years old, half a million years ago? 10,000 years ago, when, when did Adam hit the face of the earth? No one knows. I haven't talked to anyone who can answer that question. It's just this great big abstract, oh yeah, we all descend. Well, in any case, what I'm trying to uh, convey here is that Kabil or this archetype, this archetype prince of pirates, you see, this archetype criminal murderer, who had to murder and steal uh, for his livelihood, formulated and was no longer guided by Allah, you see. And the fitra to be guided is in us. Allah didn't take that away. He only took his guidance away. So the desire to be religious is inherent, you see. So, uh, and man can't escape that. Even atheists believe something. <laughs> it's still a belief, you see. So they have their own religion. They just believe there is no God. It's, the, <laughs> it's an opposite belief, but it's still a belief. They can't prove it, you see. They can't prove he doesn't exist. So, but it's a strong, firm belief system, isn't it? It's just another religion. So Kabir had also had this fitra, and he put his fitra and his need uh, to eat and his inability to have the earth produce for him directly together and came up with the idea, well, let's just, um, let's just see if we can't get other people to feed us so I don't have to kill them all the time, okay? And um, so what happened was that somewhere, someone along the line, someone like Kabil 
came up with the idea of this religious system where uh, people would come and make offerings to the priests, you see. <laughs> and um, uh, uh, so, you know, if you have this civilization where you've got a bunch of savages out there and they're already hanging human tongues around their head, it shows you they're already pretty stupid, okay? Uh, which means that they, they have a, a malleable mind uh, and you can redirect that uh, with, you know, just by, you know, you show them a sign or a wonder or whatever it might be. And, uh, you know, uh, the thing here is that uh, along with this curse, you see Kabil who, or whoever he was, um, was told by a uh, uh, Allah Subhanahu in in the confrontation they had over the murder of his brother uh, Abel, Habil, uh, that not only would the earth not produce for him, not only would God no longer talk to him, but he would rule over sin. Sin, S-I-N. Well, sin, what is this? It's, it's a word that means uh, the rebellion against divine order. It's a rebellion against God's word. It's a rebellion against revelation. It's a rebellion against amana, okay? Because amana is the trust that God placed in us uh, as his creation and as his khalifa. And we agreed, according to the Quran, to take up this trust. Who's going, to, who's going to take care of creation for me? The mountain said no, the stars said no, but man said yes, you see. And so this is a, a trust. So life is entrusted to us and care for life is entrusted for us, which is why murder is such a sin, you see. So he said, he said to Cain, according to uh, Musa, you will rule over sin. Sin is at the door waiting, okay? And when I leave, sin is going to come in and you will rule over sin. Well, who is sin? Sin is Iblis, you see? So Allah withdrew and Iblis entered. So Iblis became the guide. Iblis became not the boss, but the whisperer, the, the, the person, the entity who made the suggestions. So Cain's sitting there by the campfire, scratching his head and saying, you know, my right arm's a bit sore. I'm, I'm tired of, you know, all this killing. How can I, and, whisper, and, and Cain has said, look, you get those people to kill for you. <laughs> and um, I'll show you how to do it. <laughs> and 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 Kabil says, "Oh yeah, boy, that's a great idea. Let's figure it out." <laughs> so that's what they did, and I'm just saying that to encapsulate uh, a hypothetical origin for the mystery religion, because you've got you know when a detective uh, uh, tries to find out, well who the murderer is, they've got to find out, they not only find out, try to find out who the murderer is, but they want to know why, you see. Why, why did they do this? Uh, what was the motive, you see? So I just gave you the motive, you see. The motive is there. And um, uh, the, the bodies then just, you know, followed suit. So, um, and so, what happened 
was that, you know, men have a weakness, and uh, this weakness is is called lust. You see, and um, lust is uh, of the, the of the nafs. We know that, and it has you can't do away with it. There are there are religions that have tried to do away with it, and they practice celibacy and whatnot. It just never goes away. It doesn't matter what you do; um, it's always there. And uh, so Iblis said, "Look, let's just take this lust thing and we'll turn it into a goddess." <laughs> so, <laughs> and so they 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 make this goddess, you see, and uh, they give her the. Um, the rights of the, the the fertility rights you see and this is where you get um, shakti and uh, all these others uh, all these other ladies of the mystery religions of the ancient world all of whom became uh, encompassed in what we call uh, the christians call the mother of god you see um and uh, uh I, that's where we start and that's where we're going to end uh, with this mystery religion thing, but with um, uh, getting back to Cain and Eblis ruling over sin and uh, Eblis giving these whispers or whatever jinn they were giving the whispers to this pirate king, how are we going to get these people to murder for you so you don't have to do it yourself anymore? And so he wants to become a king, you see. You know, the tribes always have a chief, but a king is a different matter. And the king always has to, and even a tribal chief has to has has to be related to a shaman uh, uh, somewhere along the line. They have to have a relation relationship. So you have the priest and the king, but there has to be uh, a third entity, and this third entity became uh, the um, uh, the blessed virgin, if you will, the the mother goddess, and um, in those days. The mother goddess uh, was uh, someone whom uh, everyone revered, and uh, including the priest and the king. And uh, my God, if she wasn't happy, you see, all hell would break loose. And her wrath, the wrath of Shakti, was worse than the wrath of the king, or worse, worse than the wrath of the the priest. You see, she was the um, uh, the the goddess of destruction, uh, if she's not considered to be the goddess of fertility. So you have to keep her fertile and keep her pleased in order to keep her fertile so that the, the land would produce. And uh, so, you know, and, you know, in these, in the temperate zones, you have these climates uh, where uh, uh, you, you go from summer to spring, to autumn, to, to winter, then to spring. And spring was very important because uh, uh, that's when everything began to blossom and nature recreated itself. And everybody, and including the birds and the bees, they fall in love and make little babies and all this sort of thing. And so that's the resurrection. Uh, so you have the death uh, of the, the earth at the winter time the winter solstice, and then you had the resurrection uh, at the Easter time. So it this became a religious uh, cycle, um, uh, some sort of a, 
theocosmological uh, thing that they associated with the stars and the seasons, and then they associated this with God, and then they associated God with helpers like Shakti, the mother goddess, and other gods and goddesses, uh, and they became they they began to uh, represent different aspects of uh, nature, and so. All of these things uh, fell into line when uh, Kabil or whoever it was in ancient Dravidia decided to organize these pre-Dravidians and uh, civilize them, you see, uh, so that they turned their savagery in a more focused manner. And uh, indeed they did. Um, the cannibalism uh, proceeded uh, and instead of just, uh, you know, getting a sacrifice for yourself, there was a sacrifice for the nation, you see. And so that um, uh, at, at a certain point, a certain time every year, and maybe it was once at one time, but it became a certain point, nodal points uh, throughout the year that fitted with the cosmological cycles, the natural astrological cycles as well in the seasons, there would be a human sacrifice uh, to placate Shakti, uh, the mother goddess, so she wouldn't get angry and would reproduce. And her reproduction incorporated all of the earth, not just, you know, her favor, but her favor meant that the earth would reproduce and will have a good year you see, we'll have good production, we'll have good hunts, all the animals are going to reproduce, we'll have more cattle, more sheep, whatever, whatever the case might be. So this became, instead of worshipping Allah, you see, because Allah was no longer talking to Cain, he created a false religion, you see, and this religion is responsible for civilization as we, we know it. And um, we now know uh, through various um, archeological um, surveys, uh, which still remain incomplete, that the uh, Dravidian civilization, uh, which uh, dates back to 6,000 BC, if not prior, um, many of those places had uh, paved streets indoor plumbing, uh, all of this sort of thing. They had their own ships. They exported their religion, their gods, their goddesses, uh, and their gods and goddesses were um, associated with the star and the crescent way back then, you see. This is, the star and the crescent is not new. That's how old it is, and it represents this ancient god and this ancient goddess, okay? So we have a god named Sin, and we have uh, Shakti, who, whoever else was considered to be his consort. The father god at that time was not that uh, important. It was the mother god who had to be placated, okay? Because every man knows that if his wife's not happy and he comes home, he can't be happy. You see, <laughs> that's just the way it is, okay? So, and, you know, after, you know, you, you can know, a, a man can say, okay, well, I just get rid of her and get another one. 
you know, but after so many divorces, you get tired of that, you see. So you teach your, um, your people to make the uh, goddess happy, uh, and then everything, you know, sort of settles down and uh, everything reproduces well and comfort is aided. So all, the, all of this is, they've applied this sort of to, to spirituality, but it's all just physical comfort is what we're talking about in, in the end. So after the establishment of this religion uh, with the mother goddess and whoever her consort was, and the consort was often mixed with the high priest and in sometimes the high priest was also the king you see and it, it, it took some time for the high priest and the, the and the, the and the king to separate and you had this also in the ancient uh, hebrew rites but they didn't have a priest and a king they only had a prophet you see so the prophet's role in the mystery religion is split between the king and the priest. Whereas in true prophethood, there's only the prophet, there is no king, you see. There may be a general, you know, of the army or the, you know, a Hamza, always, there's always a Hamza uh, or Khalid, there's always those men, but they're not, not necessarily the king. But in the mystery religion, you had to have a priest and a king, because in the ancient tribal systems, that's what uh, in the ancient uh, uh, tribal systems with um, the the different uh, forms of uh, savagery, that's what you had. You had a, a priest and a king, you see, uh, uh, and or you had the chief and the the shaman. Okay, and that still continues to this day. Not that there's anything wrong with that. That's okay. What, what, but if you organize it politically and you call the chief the king, that's a different matter than chief. You, you all, everyone, every civilization has to have a leader. Okay, and the chief may not be the best uh, uh, spiritual scholar. So the spiritual scholar is someone who is the, what we might call the knowledge keeper, someone who maintains the records of the uh, genealogies and maintains the history of the people, you see. And they did this in the old days by memory. They didn't write things down. But eventually when they began start to start writing things down and the first notice that we have of anything written down. There may be some traces of it in ancient India. I'm not a, an expert there, but we, we know that most of the origins of what we consider to be the written historical record begins in Akkad, in ancient Babylonian, in ancient Babylonia. Uh, and this is a place uh, where uh, the we know that the Dravidian culture exported its religion as well as its good and trade uh, too. And those records go back to about 5,000 BC, okay? And by the time we come to 5,000 BC, we have a very organized mystery religion in ancient Akkad, in ancient uh, Babylon, uh, close there to the um, uh, the 
uh, Arabian Sea and the, uh, Ind the Indian Ocean there at the mouth, where if you've traveled from, um, if you travel directly from ancient Dravidia, the Hindu, Hindus River Valley, where it empties into the ocean, and you went directly west, you come to Akkad. You'll see about a thousand or two thousand kilometers uh, further away, uh, probably further than that. I don't, I don't remember what the geography is. But in that time, you have a religion where you have a, uh, a king, a priest king, and uh, or a king and a priest and you have a god and a goddess and they're represented by <laughs> you got it <laughs> the the star and the crescent okay we have those symbols they're they're going back down back to 5000 bc and they came from ancient dravidia so this religion was incorporated it was exported and then incorporated in ancient akkad and uh, there are cities there where we have the god and the goddess being worshipped as the goddess but they're they're intertwined like two snakes you know, intertwined you see in copulation and so this is representative of the concept of god as being an androgyne you see and we we trace this back to lagash in ancient Akkad. And this is one of the cities where Ibrahim came to a few thousand years later to destroy the idols and all that sort of thing. Um, because this is, this is the religion that promoted those, that, that form of idolatry. At the apex of this idolatry was the caduceus, these two snakes intertwined. And this represents God Almighty in the ancient uh, pagan mystery religion system, and God Almighty was considered to be an androgyne, both male and female. Okay, so this is anthropomorphism being projected uh, onto God by means of this lying mystery religion, you see. And so now we have all of medicine represented by this ancient God, the Caduceus, you see. It's a lie. And uh, the the, the medical system, as we know, is now lying to the entire world. They're using the system to lie to the entire world because the amana has been misplaced. This is misplaced trust in that authority, you see. And that authority, I'm telling you now, is 7,000 years old, if not older. Okay. So now uh, let's relate this to the Christians. And that's easily done because we know from the Amana tablets, uh, which go back 5,000 years, uh, 7,000 years, and that the, the Vestal virgins who were supposed to be um, uh, celibate, you see, at the temple, uh, it was their children who were offered to this God to in order to uh, protect the kingdom and in order to uh, maintain fructification, okay? In order to maintain the fertility right for all of the kingdom, for all the animals, for the, for the crops, uh, for trade, for everything, okay? So these ladies used to sleep at the top of the pyramid and lo and behold, God would visit them 
and uh, they would be impregnated, you see. And these children were called sons of God and daughters of God, you see. And there is uh, uh, on record in the Amana tablets, uh, the phrase that has to do with the Lamb of God, you see, going back 5,000 years ago. Because the ladies, you know, it's, it's against fitra, it's against common sense to give birth to a child and then offer them for sacrifice, you see. This just, this just it doesn't make any sense. And so they appealed to the king, a group of them appealed to the king, and they said, please, can you stop offering our children and just offer a lamb? And this is recorded on the Amana tablet. So that's where the Lamb of God comes from, you see. <laughs> it doesn't come from the Christian scripture. It was inserted. Um, and uh, I can talk to you later about who inserted it and why uh, they did. So I hope that makes some sense to you to bring it to this point, because what I'm trying to give you is just a picture of the mystery religion because the, the, the people on the street, they didn't understand all this business about, you know, the, the Vestal Virgins and God uh, visiting them at a certain time of the year and impregnating them. Uh, they just went along with it, you see. They were kind of just following orders and kind, kind of glad that uh, they weren't the one being placed on the altar for the sacrifice and that they would get all the benefits. So they paid their taxes. And, uh, you know, when, when, when the earth produced and the cows reproduced and all of these things came in, a, <clears throat> a great portion of that went to the king and a great portion of that went to the priest, you see. And uh, all of it was based on a lie. The whole system of organization is based on a lie and based on human sacrifice. So the human sacrifice carried over from the pre-Dravidian time into civilization, what we call the, the foundations of civilization in ancient Babylonia. You see, there, are, there is, is an older civilization in Dravidia, but it's underwater now. I think I mentioned that before and uh, nobody's uh, exploring it, but we know it's there. The cities that I'm talking about with the paved streets and the indoor plumbing, that's where they are. And as further evidence of this, we, we go back to about 9,000 BC, and there's evidence eight, eight to 9,000 BCs, and there's evidence in Northern Iraq already of uh, brass jewelry, you see. And this was, this was, this is well before uh, there was supposed to be any uh, facility uh, to, to, to manufacture brass, okay? So the history that we have is, or that we understand, is not exactly uh, correct. And the understanding of uh, Christianity in light of the mystery religions, which I've just explained to you, uh, changes, you see, <laughs> once you understand what the, what the roots of this system is, because when we're talking about uh, sons and daughters of God and Vestal Virgins and mothers, up in the mystery religion. And 
these mystery religions began to incorporate higher ideals that one might consider virtuous, but all of this virtue was intertwined like the two snakes with anthropomorphism and with assigning, uh, 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 with assigning helpers uh, to God, you see. And so when, they, when these people had uh, real spiritual experiences, for example, they might have experienced an angel, they might have experienced a jinn, uh, and whatever other creatures are out there, we don't know. Um, they then ascribed to these spiritual entities godhood, you see. And so you had a god of the tree, of this tree, a god of the mountain, a god of the river. Uh, you know, all of these gods got assigned. And before you know it, after a few thousand years, you've got a pantheon with a few thousand gods in it and goddesses, okay? And uh, they all need to be placated. And some are more demanding than others, you see. And of course, the pirates amongst us, they know exactly how to use this sort of system to their advantage. So they pretend piety, and the scripture is very clear about that, both in the Quran and also in the Old Testament, about the pretentious uh, pious uh, who pretend this piety uh, and pretend to serve the true God when all the time, when all the all the time they're serving the false god, and the false god is just an excuse for them to serve their nafs, to serve their lust, to serve their greed all of these things which are unredeemed. And that's the system we have today, and people call it the New World Order. And it's hiding behind all, these, all this uh, rhetoric uh, for what is meant to represent virtue. There's nothing virtuous about it at all. Um, so now, so where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us with a system of higher initiation, where after a period of time, a few thousand years, by the time we get to um, say, oh, maybe Alexander the Great, who was an initiate, by the way, he followed the, what they called the Eleusinian mysteries, who was uh, dedicated to one of the goddesses, uh, Demeter, I think her name was. They're all the same, these goddesses, they're all the same. Uh, uh, they're, they're all considered either mothers or daughters of God, you see. And I think I mentioned to you before this uh, goddess named Sybil. She's considered the mother of the gods. Well, this mother of the gods is ancient, more ancient than her. But in the, in the organized civilization of the Babylonian times, when we're approaching Alexander, Sybil became the, the uh, preeminent mother goddess, okay? And she outshone uh, the mother goddess in, in Rome even. Matter of fact, uh, Juno, the mother goddess of Rome, needed her help in order to uh, defeat Hannibal, you see. So uh, Sybil had her own black stone, another meteorite, you see. And so the Romans imported that black stone brought it to Rome, set up a shrine uh, 
uh, at the at what became the Vatican, you see, and worshipped her. And uh, they attributed uh, the defeat of Hannibal, this 20-year war that they had with him, uh, to Sybil, the mother goddess, because Juno just wasn't up to, the, up to it, you see. And, you know, forget all this stuff about Mars and whatnot. It took the woman, you see. <laughs> it took the mother of God to do it because she's the one that gets favor with God Almighty. And she's the one who gets favor with his son, Jesus Christ, you see. All right. Are you getting the picture now? I'm getting it. Okay. So that's what we've got here with the mystery religion. And these mystery religions became Christianity. All of this was just dumped into what was called, what became Christianity. And the Christians have no idea about this, of course. Many of the priests don't even know. If you talk to the ordinary pastor of the day, the probably will know very little of these matters. Now, I, I'm giving, you know, a, a condensed version, and it's not very sophisticated what I'm what I'm giving you because um, you could get. But if you become, if you want to become sophisticated, you could then name all the gods and the goddesses and go through all the history and whatnot. I did a, a bit of that in some of my presentations. I called it the Great Divide, and uh, uh, Brother uh, uh, Muhammad Anas Naim. He has those uh, files and they're going to be posted uh, pretty soon on our new website, inshallah. Uh, and if you, if you follow th those lectures, you get a very, very clear picture, but it's like taking a university course, okay? So I have done this in a systematic way, but for this conversation and for your listeners, if I go into those details, they'll just get lost, you see? and uh, they'll become bored in whatever the case might be. So um, this father God, uh, uh, mother God and son of God became the Trinity is what I'm trying to say. And all of this is attributed to ancient mystery religions, the, the false religions that had to be established in order to get people to, um, contribute to pirates. <laughs> that's, that's, that's essentially it. It's, it's a system of, it's an it's a efficient system of plunder. And uh, to bring that up to date, uh, about just over 100 years ago, 130 years ago or so, they brought the mother goddess to America and put her statue up in New, New York Harbor. Now she's called the Statue of Liberty, you see. So the politi it's political religion, that's what it is. It's politicized religion. There are various um, um, academic terms to describe the, f the phenomena now. Um, but in any case, that's what it is. It's a lie. And as I was telling you before, with this communion service, it's a mind meld. So when you, when you look at the Statue of Liberty, immediately you associate this with the American flag. You associate it with the star. Well, this is a star of Ishtar, you see? It's the pentagram. <laughs> and the pentagram is the, the, the symbol that was used to, um, uh, for the magical rites. We haven't even entertained the magical rites that accompany 
these mystery religions, you see. So it's associated the Statue of Liberty, the flag, and then salute and submission is all uh, part of the same system. It's a mind meld, okay? And <coughs> that's what has happened here. So this is political religion. And they use this to manipulate the minds of the men that they want to fight for them and provide for them, okay? And they don't care how many of you die as long as they've got enough to replace you, you see? So um, that's pretty much what it is. Uh, some of our generals figured this out um, uh, in the last century. Um, uh, there's a, a book called um, uh, uh, something, uh, it's a racket, I, I, I've forgotten the, the name uh, of the, the author, but he was a general. And then Patton figured it out too. And um, uh, it's not news to people like me, but to people on the street, it's news because this knowledge does not filter down to them. It's kept out of the, re the educational system. It's not even in the university systems. This is all postgraduate stuff. And you have to find it on your own because these scholars will not give it to you. If, they, if, if the academics give it to you, they'll refer you to people like Joseph Campbell, uh, who make a, a very high and mighty representation of all of these ancient myths as manifestations of different human characteristics, you see. But they never talk about the organized evil aspect of it because what I've just described is organized evil. That's what it is. And so the scholars, the academics, they always talk about all these nice aspects. If you, if you talk, look to the Mexican scholars, they talk about how great the Aztecs are, but they never want to discuss uh, how many hearts they ripped out at the top of the pyramid, you see. Uh, this is the same thing. It's the same mystery religion. It, how it became universal, this kind of remains a mystery, but you find the same patterns all over the world in different parts of the world. You even find the same sort of archeological reproductions with respect to uh, stone monuments and uh, the different types of idols and especially the serpent. You see, and you remember, I called these two serpents of the Caduceus. This represents the androgyne status of God Almighty, according to the mystery religion. So if we uh, apply that to the, um, the, the, the Kabbalah, because the Kabbalah is the, is refined mystery religion. That's what it is. Uh, the most public uh, manifestations of the mystery religion, the most public and the most perfect were manifest in uh, ancient Babylon and ancient Egypt. And um, uh, Pharaoh represents the archetype of the evil king. Okay. Now, if you talk to the Egyptologists, wow, they, they've got a completely different take on this. They don't talk about the organized evil. They don't talk about the, uh, <clears throat> the, um, 
the sexual uh, aspects of their mystery religion. They had a, an annual feast where the most beautiful of the women uh, were, were given over to public copulation with animals, with bulls, with goats. Okay, they don't talk about that. They don't talk about the giant uh, penis parades that they would have, okay? Where you would have a long line of 20 or so women carrying a 30 foot or 50 foot long penis on their shoulders, okay? And then this, the, the ceremony would end up with the, with the most beautiful of them uh, having sex with a, a goat or a cow or, or a bull or whatever. Okay, uh, they don't talk about the, the Roman aspect of these mysteries where they had uh, trained baboons rape uh, uh, women in the, in the circus, you see, in the, in the uh, uh, arena. See, th this is not in the schools, is it? No, they don't, they don't talk about it. They, they leave all of this stuff out they leave out the human sacrifice. They leave out that the ancient Romans used to sacrifice eight-year-old boys because they were pure and beautiful and intelligent just to uh, read uh, the uh, signs that might be in their liver to foretell their future. They don't talk about this, do they? Not at no, all. no, 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 not at all. It's not there. It's not even in postgraduate education. No. You have to dig for it. Okay, it's there. They purposely keep this stuff out because they don't want people to know. So um, the, those two and three, you know, Rome had a pretty sophisticated mystery religion system, but the trouble with Rome is they took all the religions <laughs> and put them together. And if you go to Rome, you had a temple for every God under the sun and uh, uh, that gets confusing and also very expensive after a while. <laughs> and so it all got consolidated by the, uh, what became the Catholic Church, you see, especially after Constantine said, hey, we've got to do something about this. Um, the Christians are becoming a, a force, so let's organize it. And they had this Council of Nicaea. And... Um, there were, there were members there, there were people who came to the council and they say, no, God is one, he has no son, Jesus is not God, and they were voted out, <laughs> essentially. Uh, but they, they, made, uh, uh, they made an ancient um, uh, uh, Indian and an ancient um, uh, European God, uh, the God of the Druids, called uh, Jesus, uh, and Krishna or Christos, and they brought the names together, Jesus Christos, uh, and they, they, they renamed it and said, this is now your God. And this, this became the official religion. And then Mary, Mary was set up, for example, overnight, statues of uh, Juno were renamed and called Mary. <laughs> and, you know, they, they did this sort of thing. And uh, they they took the ancient sacrifice uh, 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 at Christmas time, uh, the festival uh, dedicated to Saturn called Saturnalia. Saturn was a cannibal, by the way, um, and they turned it into Christmas and made it the the birthday of Jesus Christos. You see, so and there was no J in the English language until 
16th century or so. So nobody said Je Jesus. Uh, no, Mary never called her son Jesus, never called Isa Jesus. There was no J. Uh, uh, his name was not Jesus. You know. uh, in the Aramaic is uh, different uh, altogether. So anyway, this is what happened. You had this um, perfection of the political mystery religion in Egypt and ancient Babylon, and to a certain extent in Greece and Rome. Uh, the Greece, Greeks, they stole everything from India <laughs> and from Babylon, and uh, they, they tried to claim everything as their own. They, they, they turned the ancient uh, 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 snake god and they renamed him Hermes. And, um, this is, and then they gave him the, that's, they're the ones who established the Caduceus although you can see uh, uh, intimations of it before the Grecian uh, times. So those were the outward political systems, you see, but there's an inward system of, uh, that those are the exoteric manifestations of the mystery religion, including modern day Christianity, including modern day Catholic church. The Catholic church is a mystery religion, that's what it is. It's probably the most sophisticated form of this ancient type, okay? Because uh, they, they really have it systematized in such a way that they've been incorporated the ancient type, but they've, they've blended it with um, a sort of modern approach to uh, philosophical apologetics that seems to uh, make everything um, seem, appear rational, you see. But when you ask them, hey, you know, why am I eating this piece of toast? And is God really in there? You, you have to just believe, it cannot be explained. You see, this uh, transubstantiation cannot be explained. The real curse is when you eat that piece of toast, it becomes your body. You digest it and its material is uh, broken down and then incorporated in your body. That's a miracle. Okay, but nobody wants to talk about that one. You see, they want to talk about this other one that doesn't exist, you see. So those are the exoteric forms. And when you talk about the exoteric forms, you have the right-hand path, you see. This is what we call the right-hand path of Satan uh, in the occult uh, literature. It's called the right-hand path of Satan, not of God, of Satan because the people who follow the right-hand path think that they're serving God, you see. They're completely fooled. It's a complete illusion, delusion, whatever you want to call it, okay? It's a lie. It's all based on a lie. The left-hand path, now this is where the initiates and the high magicians come in because they are the left-hand path of Satan and they are the ones who control the right-hand path. You see, so that's the esoteric path. So you have the right-hand path and you have the esoteric path. Now, don't get this confused with what I talked about last week about the, the right hand, the right, the righteousness of so different systems. You can have people who are trying to be righteous, you see, serving the right-hand path. And that's where uh, we get, uh, for example, that's where we get good men in police uniforms and military uniforms compromised. This is one of the reasons that they're killing themselves, 
you see, because you cannot reconcile. These, these, the, the right-hand path cannot be reconciled with righteousness. It cannot. So the men in uniform were going out there killing all these Afghanistanis and whoever else they're killing out there, all these innocent people. They think they're serving the right-hand path because even if it's a political religion, as I just said, the Statue of Liberty and the flag, you're saluting that, you're obeying, it's still a right-hand path. That's a right-hand path because it's still a religious belief system. That's what it is, okay? And this is why idolatry is forbidden, okay? It's one of the reasons idolatry is forbidden. But what's on top of every mosque? <laughs> the star and the crescent. This is pure idolatry that goes back to the most ancient form of this same system of idolatry. It's the same system, dear sister. It hasn't, the fundamentals haven't changed, just the outward form have changed, okay? So, um, but getting back to the Jews and the Kabbalah, they have the most sophisticated of the esoteric forms. Now, I mentioned before the anthroposophical system, that's also a very sophisticated form of esoteric Christianity and esoteric mystery religion. Mm, but um, the Jews and their Kabbalah, they have something very similar and mm, different. They appear outwardly, both systems appear outwardly to be uh, at odds with each other because esoteric Christianity still promotes uh, Christ consciousness, okay? And the Kabbalah, they, they promote uh, their own form of the Trinity, uh, but it, it has nothing to do with Jesus as such. So they, you can consider them, you can consider the Kabbalah to be antichrist. They might argue with you. There are some apologetics that say, well, yeah, we do have a Christ. We have a Messiah uh, and he's coming. Matter of fact, some of them think he's here now. Um, but both of these systems, whether it's the esoteric Christianity or the Kabbalah are still based on lies, you see. So they're not really at odds with each other. They're, it's like the, the democracy in the West and uh, communism in the East. They're not really at odds with each other because they're both financed by the same bankers. <laughs> they're both financed and governed by the same esoteric initiates at the very top of the pyramid, you see. So it's an outward uh, battle that is inwardly still serving uh, the enemy of truth, the enemy of Allah, the enemy of his prophetic stream, the enemy of divine order, which is why the world is being destroyed. You see, it, that's just a simple explanation. The Kabbalah has a, a sort of a, a father God. They have uh, then uh, a son of God. They have a Holy Spirit or something they call Shekinah that has become the mother goddess. Uh, <clears throat> so, but, you know, it's kind of like the, the deism that governs the Freemasons. Now, the Freemasons are 
founded uh, by <laughs> the Jews. It's a completely entire esoteric Jewish system. Most of you Freemasons would not uh, understand this. Okay, not unless they get above the 28th degree and especially above the 32nd into the 33rd degrees. And the 33rd degree has its own uh, uh, additional degrees above that in some of their forms. So unless you rise to those levels, you never have the idea that this is what's taking place. So you have uh, Hindu lodges, you have uh, uh, Buddhist lodges, you have all kinds of Freemasonic lodges all over the world, Christian, Jews, Protestant, doesn't, doesn't make any difference. Um, <coughs> and uh, they all think that they're being righteous <laughs> when in fact they're serving the left-hand path. And the Freemasonry is a kind of um, combined left and right-hand path together, you see. So but most of these men don't know. They don't know. So what's happening with the, the in the Kabbalic, in the Kabbalah, the esoteric approach is that according to their uh, belief system, um, God got, um, was too busy in the, in the, in the, um, the business of creation and uh, he lost a part of himself in creation. Uh, we call this the, they call it the divine spark. And um, they have to redeem this divine spark in order to elevate man uh, to perfection, okay? And the Jews believe that they have been chosen to do this. Now, the Jewish people who just go to synagogue every Friday or whatever, every uh, Sabbath day, they don't necessarily understand this particular approach. They're just kind of, most of them are kind of just going along with the flow in order to keep the shekels in their uh, bank accounts. And others are going along because they, they truly believe the Old Testament, uh, but they, they don't understand it. They, they believe it, but they don't understand it. Uh, like most people, they believe Islam, but they don't understand it. And that includes most of our alim. They believe, Christians believe Christianity, but they don't understand it, you see. Catholics believe Catholicism because Catholicism and Christianity aren't necessarily the same thing. They, they believe it, but they don't understand it. So everybody's just kind of going along and obeying, you see, the mystery religion initiates. So the, the Jews, they have this idea that they have to redeem this divine spark and that they are divinely appointed to do so. This is part of the ancient mystery religion. In other words, there's a um, exceptionalism here. And this exceptionalism was first applied uh, to the priest, to the king in the ancient systems and to the Vestal Virgins, okay? who slept at the top of the temple and conceived these divine children. Um, and uh, so they're the ones who were appointed, you see, to govern. They're the wisest ones. They're the ones who get the divine guidance and the divine guidance de depends on a certain amount of sacrifice on your part. So don't forget to vote and pay your taxes. Okay, <laughs> so 
this is pretty much it. But the Jews, they think that they are the priest kings of the world. Okay. They have this truly exceptionalist uh, view. And um, uh, this is admitted by some of their top scholars. It's, it's not, there's no apology about it. And the fact that they think that their, their, their top rabbis believe that God uh, is uh, male and female is a fact. Okay, this is not, I'm not lying about this, this is what they believe. And they imparted this to uh, Adam, prophet Adam, saying that he was also an androgyne. So this androgynous system with the two snakes intertwined is part of the ancient mystery religions that came to Babylon and the Jews were taken into captivity in Babylon. Harut and Marut taught about these things and he taught the system of magic that was associated with these things. And the Jews and the Medes uh, and the Persians who twisted and distorted, corrupted uh, the religion of Zoroastra, they formed a secret brotherhood then, okay? And they became false leaders at the time. Darius them out on most of them. Alexander restored them. Alexander the Great restored them in 500 BC. There's an element of Jews under what they call the exile arc who stayed in Babylon, never went back to Jerusalem, and they remained in Babylon for the next 1200 years or so. And this is where we get the Kabbalah. So they took all the best of all of these ancient mystery religions, including the magic that was taught by Harut and Marut, and they joined to the magic that they learned under the uh, jinn from Prophet Suleiman, not Suleiman taught, but the jinn taught. And they brought it together, and this is all incorporated into the uh, uh, Jewish Kabbalah. And it's a form of uh, very sophisticated astro theology. And it incorporates elements of science, which are valid, but it also incorporates elements of magic, which are also valid. And one of the strongest elements of this magic is the practice of, um, of uh, performing a mantra, performing certain prayers and chanting over and over and over again, certain words. And they form the egregory that I told you about. This is the Mr. Spock thing <laughs> that they do in esoteric Christianity amongst the Christian community of the anthroposophists, okay? It's a mind meld. Mr. Spock made it very clear, <laughs> okay? What they're doing is they're taking this created imagination and implanting it. Now, the word spoken by a man is, has carries power. And if you focus that power, you can create a vain imagination that comes to life. This is called the image. This is why idolatry is not permitted. You see, because the concrete image is just a con it's a physical manifestation of this metaphysical reality. Okay, so now we're getting into the magic part. <laughs> now you create this metaphysical reality, and the jinn will also who 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 have been assigned to serve you will follow it, and act on it. <laughs> 
And so this is why there are certain uh, prayers that the prophet gave us and a certain frame of mind that we must keep in order to protect ourselves from these things. Okay. Now, let's go to the opposite end of the pole. If you want to maintain the right, the righteous hand, okay, you better know what you're praying. <laughs> you don't just recite something and not understand what you're praying. Because that's, that's what a machine does. <laughs> you understand? So when I pray, I pray in English. I pray, uh, I, I pray the, the Arabic, but the Arabic resonates with me at a different level. But when I say the English words, it res resonates with me at the intellectual level. So I'm bringing akul together with the uh, ru. I'm bringing the spirit together with the intellect. Okay, Muslims are not doing this worldwide. The intellect is not together with the rule, and that's why they become fools. They're not protected, you see, because if you want to project magic, there's a good magic. If you want to project this rule and be protected against the vain imaginations, you better pray with your intellect, you see. Now, oh, but the Arabs understand what they're praying, do they? <laughs> Probably not, because modern Arabic is not classical Arabic, okay? The classical Arabic of the Quran is different from what is the Arabic spoken on the street. It's, it's even further apart than the, uh, than a dialect, okay? So uh, most of them who are reciting the classical Arabic don't really understand what they're reciting either. They may have a better idea of it, but they're not practicing what we called before, they're not practicing justice, you see? So, even if you recite these things, but you don't practice justice, there's a disconnect between the intellect and the will and the rule. The spirit is disconnected. Well, in practical magic of the left-hand path, there's no disconnection. It's focused. It's intelligent. So the spirit of the whisperer <laughs> Uh, is joined to the intellect and then enforced by the will <laughs> to satisfy lust, to satisfy greed, to satisfy power. Okay, so I, I, I think I've made that clear. A bit, I was a bit on a roll there, alhamdulillah. So that is, um, that is the essence of the mis mystery religion there. Now, if you, if you break it down any further, you can get lost in the details. I'm just describing the archetype, okay? And I try to make it relevant to the uh, Islamic approach uh, to proper mysticism. The proper mysticism takes the rule, makes it intelligent, and then enforces it. <laughs> you see, that's appropriate mysticism. There's your Sufi. There's Omar Mukhtar. Okay. Where are they? 
they they they're they're gone these men are gone okay they're not being raised up anymore and if they are they have to go into hiding now because they would be arrested okay they would be arrested now i'll, I'll give you an example here of this uh, failure to incorporate justice and i just shared this with one of my uh, uh, students um, when I was in Malaysia, the uh, chief uh, imam at their KLCC um, mosque uh, came to me one day. I, his wife invited me on several occasions to give um, talks in his home. And <clears throat> I think I did that maybe five or six times. There were nice uh, gatherings and most of the, um, there, were, there were a group of well-educated Muslims would attend, okay? So these were not, uh, these were not pedestrians, if you will, okay? So I was teaching uh, some of the elite there in a private uh, gathering. He came to me one day with a, a relative, a young lady about your age, and uh, he had a problem, wanted my advice. The woman had been divorced uh, by her husband and her husband was someone who was high and mighty in government, remains unnamed. And um, the man who divorced her, divorced her after she found out that he was sexually molesting her children. So uh, they couldn't touch him legally because he was just too protected, too high and mighty in this so-called Muslim <laughs> country, okay? And, uh, and the woman was, uh, was really, truly, you can imagine, suffering. And they asked me what to do. And I said, well, this is not a complicated problem. You have to kill him. <laughs> so you have response. to kill, you have to kill the man, silence. Silence was their response. And I told them, I said, look, if you don't have the courage to kill him personally, you know, choose one of uh, amongst it. Because he, he, wasn't, he wasn't alone. He was there with uh, another man, an uncle or the, the woman's father, I don't know who, who they are, and a couple of brothers. And I said, one of you has to kill this man and go to jail for it. Okay? And if you don't have the courage to do it, assassin. There are plenty around and you've got plenty of money. Okay, and if you don't do either, marry this woman off to a good man in another country and let her have new children. Yeah. Silence, no action, nothing. You know, with this kind of Ummah, with this kind of Alim, you, 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 you cannot do anything. You cannot enforce justice. They don't have the courage to do what is necessary. Okay. And they've been trained to submit to the esoteric left-hand path, which is governed outwardly by the exoteric right-hand path. Okay, Freemasons are all over Malaysia. Their KLCC, these two towers, that's a Masonic altar. <laughs> that's what it is. They have the Masonic com 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 compass connecting them with a bridge between them. And right across the street is the Eye of Horus midline right under the compass at their bank. 
Okay, this is a Masonic system. It's an esoteric system. And uh, I, wrote ab I wrote about it in one of my books. I think it's in the hand of Iblis. They have the pictures and everything in there. So with this kind of system and these kind of people serving the right-hand path in subjugation to the left-hand path, esoteric masters and magi and initiates, you know, the people cannot be served. Allah's will cannot be served. I don't care how sophisticated your train system is or your airlines is uh, or your stock exchange is. None of it is serving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. None of it. Okay. So uh, this is a system that is hellbound. Uh, and these men, I don't know what they're going to uh, say to the death angel. Well, why didn't you do something after Dr. Omar gave you the solution? There's only one solution, you see. Yeah, so I, I'm trying, you see, the will, you see, they have the, the rule, they may even have the intellect, but they don't have the will. And in the ancient mystery religions, this will is stolen from the people. And this will is what maintains independence. And that's what's being stolen right now from the entire world with this COVID scam. And it's under the auspices of these left-hand path initiates at the higher echelons, those who are actually governing the Jews. They don't even know because there's another level above the Jews who think they've got everything sorted out with their stupid Kabbalah. Okay, so, uh, yeah, I suppose I'm getting myself in more trouble, but that's okay. <laughs> I, I've been in trouble for a long time. <laughs> so anyway, that's my introduction to the mystery religion. And I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll stop there. And if you have any questions or if any of your listeners are online, uh, have any questions, uh, let's, let's have at them. <laughs> okay, um, I want to start with the questions that we missed from last week. You kind of touched on this a little bit, but what is your insight on the so-called portal in Jerusalem where Suleiman built his temple? Why are Masons so obsessed with Suleiman and Dawood? Well, <clears throat> the temple is the model for the Freemasonic system. The temple incorporates everything and all of their esoteric metaphysical doctrines, okay? You have the East Gate, you got the West, you got the North, you got the South, and you've got the Grand Master, and you've got the pillars, and everything that you can imagine that is in the Freemasonic Temple somehow relates to what they imagine is the Solomon's Temple. Uh, some of these things are genuine, uh, taken from the Torah, and other of these things are imagined. Uh, is there a portal there? Mm, probably. Is that really Suleiman's temple? I don't think so. I don't think anybody knows where Suleiman's temple really is. So uh, you, can't, you can't trust anything that these people say. Um, I have read uh, papers, I, not recently, but about a six years ago, eight years ago, I read papers 
on the archaeological digs in Jerusalem, and including those under the Temple Mount and around the Temple Mount. And there's no evidence that it's Suleiman's temple, none whatsoever. Okay, And the wall that they're uh, wailing at is a Roman wall. It's not, it has nothing to do with Suleiman's temple. And uh, Suleiman's, uh, the, the temple that uh, uh, truly existed, uh, it was completely and totally destroyed. Uh, Titus did a pretty good job of it. Isa said that not one stone would be left standing upon another. Now that has metaphorical as well as uh, uh, literal uh, truth to it, uh, stones being the men, if you will, uh, and uh, the stones of the pyramid, okay, not one stone would be left standing on another. So uh, Isa was really saying, well, the, you know, this pyramid system, this system of the left-hand path is going to be destroyed completely. Uh, and along with that, this temple that it was not the temple that he was in is not Suleiman's temple. It's uh, Herod's temple. Herod built it, you see. And Herod ruled for uh, Herod the Great. There was an, uh, his son, uh, but Herod the Great ruled for about seventy years, and he was a terror. That man. Anyway, he he built uh, he built the temple for the Jews the ones that we're, we're talking about in Jesus's time. And uh, the, uh, he built another temple for Zeus that was even grander. <laughs> you see, the Romans were really happy with that one. And so this temple was destroyed. It may not have been completely destroyed, but we know that in the time of uh, Julian the Apostate, which was about 300 years later, uh, Emperor Julian the Apostate, he got friendly with the Jews, and he found it um, uh, political, politically to his advantage to grant them a favor. So he gave them permission to rebuild the temple, what was left of it. Okay, so they went to rebuild it. Now, this is something you won't find in the history books because they don't want anybody to know. Uh, Jesus said this temple would never be built again, okay? So when the Jews at that time, under Julian the Apostate, they tried to rebuild the temple, it was uh, the first week or so, they set up, they dug up the foundations, whatever it was, and they tried to rearrange things, getting everything ready. And there was an earthquake. <laughs> it killed most of the workmen, swallowed most of their work. <laughs> and lo and behold, after the dust settled a month, maybe several months later, they tried again. And this time there was a fire proceeding out of some sort of a cave that they discovered when they were redigging the foundations. And this fire uh, must have been something, some, some, some sort of thing that was uh, like lava and uh, the heat wave must have been so great. It burnt everything in sight. Nobody survived. And so after that Jews never tried to rebuild the temple again. So if they rebuild the temple right now, it's not the temple of Solomon that they're rebuilding, okay? They, there's, uh, I've read reports that they already have it already uh, ready somewhere in the Golan Heights or somewhere in some warehouse. It's already prefabricated. All they have to do is just bring it together and, and uh, put all the pieces together. Doesn't have to be constructed, so to speak. So what they're doing under these temple foundations 
is um, they're practicing magic, okay, in preparation for this new false temple. They will attempt to build it, and they may even build it because it's not the temple of Suleiman. The temple of Suleiman was the one that was probably destroyed, whatever remained of it. That was the one that was probably destroyed by these two volcanic uh, episodes under uh, uh, Julian the Apostate when the Jews tried to rebuild it in the third century. Okay, now you won't find that discussed. They don't want to talk about it because it's damn embarrassing. <laughs> you see, Allah will not allow that temple to be rebuilt. This new temple, I don't know. He may allow it to be rebuilt, but it's not Suleiman's temple. So they're two different entities. Okay, now as to the portal bit, bit I don't know. I know that there are demonic portals all over the world. We also know that there are 19 gates to hell. Uh, we know that there are other dimensions, uh, all, all this sort of thing. But once you start to uh, entertain those ideas, um, if you don't, let, let me try to say this and make it perfectly clear. If you don't have Allah's blessing and protection when you entertain the study of these matters, you will get lost. There's no doubt about it. This is not for the pedestrian. These studies are not for the pedestrian. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do it. I'm saying that if you do it, you had better do it under someone who knows what they're talking about. And most of your alim do not know what they're talking about because they haven't put the will together with the intellect together with the rule. If they did, they would have maintained autonomy for the entire Muslim world. Because that's the opposite of what the system of Iblis has done, the system of Kabil. They have put their evil spirit together with their intellect, together with their will. This is why Alistair Crowley said in his religion, his approach to it, evil, approach to magic, do what thou wilt, do what thou wilt, okay? Islam is do what God wills, okay? So the left-hand path, they are doing what they will, and this is the will of the nafs. In the Islamic path, they are not doing Allah's will. Otherwise, the men I talked to would have killed that man. You see? <laughs> so without justice, there is no Islam. It's a facade. It's hypocrisy. That's all. It's plain and simple. It's an abstract idea. It's somewhere out there. It's not here. It's not incarnate. It's just, it's just, it's just a bunch of people playing at religion. <laughs> yeah. And this is what the new world order fears. They fear political Islam. I'm not talking about the Islamists because they're stupid. <laughs> they're poorly informed. They don't have any idea what they're doing. They may have the right will, but they do not have the right intellect because they're ignorant, you see? So they're just a bunch of young guys. They get their swords out and let's go for blood <laughs> in the name of God, okay? Let's, give me that AK-47. Yeah, I need a woman. Let me go find one. <laughs> so, and he needs a woman because his, 
the system under which he's living is not providing justice. Otherwise, he would have a wife. You see? So that's how it is. So both systems are wrong. And when you've got two systems that are pretending to fight each other, like communism and democracy, <laughs> you're, they're all serving evil. You're all serving evilists. And Eblis is sitting back there going, hey, <laughs> he says, see, Allah, I told you they were stupid. Yeah, that's how it is. It's not simple. It's not difficult to figure out, darling. It's not. It's very easy. Very simple. Very simple, you see. But without justice, you don't, there's no Islam. I, I don't care how much you memorize. <laughs> I don't care how beautiful your recitation. There's no Islam. No. And all these people that are saying, oh, we recite Al-Kusi before we go to bed and all this sort of thing. Are they protected? I don't think so. If they were protected, this COVID thing, they would not be walking the street with the mask on, mm. you see? Mm -mm -mm. <laughs> so it's all the sham. It's all mm. hypocrisy. People are just pretending to be pious and hoping, hoping, hoping that that will get by the death angel. <laughs> what a joke. Yeah, what a joke. Yeah. Anyway, next question. What are they planning with the American Space Force? Is a staged alien invasion a possibility? Probably. Probably. I, I've considered that. I thought about this alien business a long, long time ago and decided that they were jinn. And uh, I decided they were jinn after I became a Muslim. I decided that they were some sort of uh, evil spirit or demons before I became a Muslim because that's what we called them as Christians. But um, uh, they're jinn. Now, there, there are indications in the literature uh, amongst those who do expositions of the Quran that uh, the jinn don't have power over us. And that is true. But if we give them power over us, then they have it, <laughs> you see. And that's also true. And uh, so the people who are uh, pretentiously pious are out there saying, oh, the jinn can't harm you, da, 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 da. Well, listen, that Jew at the time of the prophet performed a uh, magical act. He uh, did a curse and he tied the nuts then threw it in the well. And these knots were from the, the favorite tree of the prophets, the favorite palm tree of the prophets. They were from the prongs that he used to lay, lay, uh, lean up against when he was uh, sitting down resting in its shade. And they used this to curse the prophet and it almost killed him. Yeah. I'm sure he recited Al-Kursi. Okay, so let's, uh, let's use the intellect here a little bit. Okay, and say, well, what was that all about? What's going to happen to me? <laughs> you see, and uh, I'm sure that the Prophet was being used by Allah to teach us a lesson. Okay, that's pretty clear. So we have to look at that and seriously think about it. Now, Allah offered the Prophet a complete cure. Uh, he said, well, do you want to live? I'll cure you. You want to live or do you want to come to Jannah? 
the prophet chose Jannah. He was probably tired. <laughs> I've had those days. I'm sure you've had your days when you all get really tired of all the chaos and the stupidity and the foolishness you have to put up with, you know, the people who call themselves menfolk, <laughs> the Khalifa. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, we all have those days and the prophet finally said, uh, I, I've done enough. <laughs> it's enough. And uh, he died. But this was consequent still to that tying of the knots. Okay. So the knots are there. And these Jews and other people are still tying these knots. So this is still happening. It, it hasn't stopped. And there's no protection against it unless you serve truth. And if you're going to serve truth, you have to speak it. Mm. First of all, <laughs> you can't pretend that you're serving truth by not speaking the truth. And when I confronted these men with what has to be done, there was silence. There was no, they changed the subject actually. <laughs> see? They, they were silent and then they changed the subject and then they, they asked me, well, what do you think about CBD oil? Can you help us with that? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> uh, you know, this is, we're going back 10 years ago or so. So I, I hope that, and anyway, you get the, you get the idea here. If you're, the idea is if you're not going to speak the truth, if you're going to avoid it, you can't serve God. You can pretend that you're serving God and, 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 and Allah will permit that, of course. You know, you know, so you, you, but you, you're, you've deviated. This is not the straight path. You're deviating already. You're deviating from justice when you deviate from truth, when you're deviating from the truth of the matter. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I've got, I think I went off track there a little bit. What was the question again, sister? Bring me back. You answered it though. It was about uh, the American Space Force and also- Oh, the American, oh, oh yeah, American Space Force. So they are, you know, these, these, these aliens. Oh, oh, I, now I remember, thank you. You see, the jinn have no power over us unless we give it to them. Now the, and this is one of the tricks that they play and they play it with the magicians. They pretend that the magician has power over them. You see, when the magician does these tricks and then there comes a day when they actually take over or possess the magician. You see, this is possession. Possession is reality. That's a, that's a bit of manifest power over the human being now, isn't it? And this happens by virtue of some sort of an invitation. This is, as I mentioned before, this is the, uh, the, the principle of Dracula. You have to invite him in, you see. <laughs> and so these jinn have to be invited in, okay? And then they can manifest their power. Well, there are certain families amongst these high initiates and high magi uh, that the prophet warned uh, Kozru about who have invited the jinn into their bloodlines. Okay, and these jinn are then inherited and their families of jinn are inherited for thousands of years. Now jinn live longer than humans do. They live on average about 500 years from what I've been able to ascertain from my reading. And men only live 70 to 100. 
100 years sometimes. At least Jin, if you, you're talking to uh, a Jin today, um, uh, you know, he, uh, his father was alive during the day of the Crusades. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you go back a few generations and, and you know, your great-grandfather was alive when Alexander the Great saved the mysteries of Babylon, <laughs> you see. So, uh, and, you know, they worship Alexander the Great, don't they? <laughs> Even today. That's why they call him the Great. This yeah. was a spoiled brat. He was the spoiled, a murderous spoiled brat to boot and an alcoholic. So, uh, you know, yeah, he might have been a, a great uh, brawler, okay, and a military organizer, organizer but uh, there's, not, there's no reason to call him great for that, you know, unless you're just a blood and guts type person. There's a time for that, and there's a time to put it aside, you see. So, anyway, these jinn manifest themselves in these bloodlines, okay, and they will use some sort of hologram representation and some sort of real magical uh, manifestation in order to fool the whole world. And they will use some sort of technology that we don't know exists because they're always 30 to 50 years ahead of what we, we see as far as the technological, technological ground is. And they will use this to fool the world that there's an alien invasion. And the Jews will then sit on top of this and see, and they say, oh, our Messiah has arrived from Orion. And Orion was the star of the Pharaoh. So this, this whole thing is the, 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 um, um, uh, the, the religion of Pharaoh, which the Quran makes very clear that God hates, Allah hates it. Okay, so, but the Jews will use that to justify their position as your slave masters under their Messiah, under their Antichrist, under Al-Dajjal and the beast, okay, that uh, he will command. And uh, this will have some sway in the earth, the whole earth, for a time, whether it's for a few years or three and a half years or seven years, I don't know. I'm not going to, to go into that eschatology because it, it, it becomes confusing, okay? Uh, but the principle is what, what, what is the, the, the nature of the thing is what I'm trying to describe. The archetype, this is what they will do. And the jinn will then manifest themselves. They will use signs and wonders. You've seen already what they're doing with some of the magicians who are publicly displaying these tricks. I mean, these are amazing things that cannot be done without the help, uh, without help from beyond, okay? Um, so something greater than that will occur at the same time that their Messiah will pretend to descend from the heavens because they want to be a bit scriptural here and present him as uh, Christ returned, you see? Uh, so. Uh, they they will use they always use the scripture as a, a as a sort of format uh, to for the narrative, because so many people are in line with that mentality, so and they don't have a clear view because a clear view is not being taught in the schools of religion on these matters, 
whether it's Islamic or Hindu or Buddhist or uh, Christian, doesn't make any difference. Nobody's teaching the real, real view here because the truth of the matter and the truth of the um, metaphors and uh, representations in the scripture have not been taught. This is called arcana. They're not been taught. This is what the, the true alchemists were, all, were about. The, there were true, true alchemists and they hid these religions. They hid, hid these myths. At them openly, they would have been killed by the stupid people of the right-hand path. You know, people like the Pope. <laughs> and uh, so uh, they, these arcana, this knowledge had to go underground. Because uh, if, if you spoke about it publicly, you, you would be murdered. And this knowledge is being taken away. And that's in keeping that when, uh, uh, when uh, Allah said in the Quran, and also we see in Hadith reflected, that uh, when, when Allah is about to judge the people, he removes knowledge and re he removes the men and women of knowledge from that people, okay? And this is the Sunnah. This is what happens. When, whenever a place is to be destroyed, the prophet comes out along with his people, okay? So, and then whoever remains behind, they are destroyed. It doesn't matter how, how nice they are. <laughs> It doesn't matter how good-hearted or intentioned they are. If they're saluting that flag and the Lady of New York Harbor, they are doomed. It's that simple. So the men and women in uniform, and uh, you know, whether it's military or police, you've got some serious thinking to do. <laughs> You know, after you talk to a man like me. Because I am not hiding the truth. I'm speaking it. Uh, and this is something that your listeners, maybe not all, but some of them need to hear in answer to this question. So yes, this is coming. They will use an alien invasion. They will call them angels. They'll call them, you know, whatever. They'll call them gods, uh, and their, their greatest uh, leader will be called Messiah or Messiah. And then the game is on, and your game will be over. <laughs> you see, the game of this pious pretense will be over then. It will not stand. Because pre-ground, they run. or they remain silent and change the subject. <laughs> Next question. Do you think the Mark of the Beast and other texts have been implanted into the Bible for them to carry out their future plans? <clears throat> the Mark of the Beast have been implanted. Uh, well, the Mark of the Beast is the same. It's, a, it's the Mark of Cain. And, you know, there's a, Picasso made this very, uh, he, he made it uh, clear in um, his painting called uh, Guernica. If you look this painting up, Guernica, it, uh, 
talks about. The painting and the painting describes the horror of the Spanish Civil War uh, uh, prior uh, to um, the Second World War. And um, in that painting, there is a man lying on the ground. He's dead. He's been hacked up. One of his arms is chopped off and uh, he's got a, uh, uh, he had a sword in one and, and uh, in his hand, in one of his hands, you can see the pentagram. It's very clear. And on his arm, you can see the cross. But the cross is not just the Christian cross, it's the cross of Pharaoh. It's the Ankh, you see. Then this is the sign of Constantine. Now, you remember, I said Constantine made, he solidified and uh, uh, the false Christian religion. And from there, we get the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church itself is not really concrete until um, about 300 years later, maybe 400 or so. But in any case, um, so if you look careful at the uh, at this right arm, the one is severed, and the one that was holding the sword, um, there is this cross. Uh, Picasso put the cross there, and at the very top of the cross, he put the uh, the, um, uh, the the a uh, head. It's almost oval, and. This cross and this ankh represents the uh, fertility rites of the ancient uh, mystery religions. So Picasso knew what he was talking about. He'd studied these matters and he incorporated them in his artwork, but he did it very discreetly. And only someone who had the knowledge, the intellect uh, to perceive these things would see it. The beast, you see. One is the Ankh, and the other one is the symbol of its magic, the pentagram. Now, that's not to say that the, you know, the pentagram is inherently um, evil. Yeah, that's it. That's it. If you blow that up, you'll be able to see it on his right arm there. Uh, you can see the. Um, I'm glad you can do that. I, if I tried to do that, I would lose my train of thought. I, 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 I can't do that. So you might not be able to get it. But you see, you see the cross there on his right arm, and um, at the very tip is the is the oval that represents the ankh. Well, that cross and the ankh, uh, the oval at the tip, this represents the phallus and the yoni, the female orifice and the male genitals. Okay, that's what it represents. This represents ancient, the ancient fertility cult. So um, Picasso put it in there. These are the marks of the beast. Okay, and the ultimate mark of the beast is the fear of the man who believes in these systems, which is the fear of the priest and the fear of the king who supports this right-hand system. That's what it is. Picasso is a Jew. He understood Kabbalah. He understood the mystery religion. He understood this entire system. It's there. You see on the right-hand side of this, this picture. Uh, can you put that back up, sister? Yes. You see on the right-hand side of the picture, the, uh, 
there's a sort of a, this man is being swallowed by this uh, beastly thing, looks like a machine, yeah. Uh, and there you have a, a square. This is a square that represents. This is a cube. It's not just a square. It's a cube. It's a cube that represents. It represents the system of Saturn. It's why I object to the court to its original position, because the original Kaaba was not a cube. The original Kaaba, you see, uh, was a rectangle holding the um, proportions of the golden uh, ratio, which is found in all nature. And that represents Kun Faya Kun. That's the Kaaba. What we have now is mm, an incomplete representation. And the Kaaba was never black. Saturn's cube is black. Okay. So anyway, you see the cube is swallowing the man there. And you see over in the left-hand corner, uh, the bull with the horns, that's a representation of Baal, the ancient mystery religions. Their gods were often called Baal. And the, the, in, in the Levant, uh, in the Phoenician system and in the Palestinian system uh, of the day, uh, they were called, um, uh, they were called um, priests of Baal. And you get, and the, the, the word is Kahanabal, which uh, means uh, cannibal. We, do, we derive the English from that, from cannibal, because they ate their human sacrifices, you see. Some of the priests were forced to eat the, ha eat the heart. And you see there, here's, the, uh, here's the, the mother of God there with her dead child. You see how, <laughs> you see how, <laughs> Uh, 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 Picasso has put this whole thing in there, you see, and the child is dead. That's a, that's the false Christ, you see, dead. The mother is wailing. Where is the God of Muhammad? She's been following the false system, you see. Her husband is dead. Maybe her brother's being swallowed by the beast. And in the middle there, you have the horse. The horse is covered with newsprint. You can't see it in this reproduction here, but the horse is covered with newsprint. Newsprint, it's propaganda. Because in his day, that was the main, yeah, you see it there? Yeah, that was the main uh, approach to, uh, uh, yeah, there it is, it's newsprint. People got their news by radio and by the newspaper. You see, now you see people standing looking at their uh, uh, their handphones. In those days, they stood waiting for the train reading new newspaper. <laughs> or they were on the train on the way to the office reading the newspaper. It's all propaganda, okay? And this is the war horse of propaganda. And above him, what do we have? Um, we have uh, the eye of Horus. <laughs> That's what it is. It's an artificial light. This is the lesser insignificant light. Uh, just leave this one up, sister. This is a lesser insignificant light that I mentioned last week in, from Genesis. It's not the true light. You see, the true light is held there by the angel. That's an angel's arm with the ant with the uh, lamp in it. That represents the true truth. That's the light of Allah. And the woman there he's talking to is being led to the light. She's already dead. She's been disemboweled. And she's, uh, her, stores, her, her, her body's all distorted. And she, the angel is taking her to the light. Okay. So you see, even she 
and her entire family, they've been destroyed by this system. But for whatever reason, and by Allah's mercy, the angel has been sent to save this one, but not the others. You see, Picasso put it all in this one painting. And you see there, and go back to the bull, and you look at his tail. That's not a tail. That's the, that's, that is the hand and arm of Iblis, his tail at the extreme left-hand side. Yeah, that's his tail. That's the arm and the hand of Iblis wagging the tail of the bull. The bull represents false religion. It represents the right-hand path that I've been talking about. All of this is in the painting. And the eye of Horus there represents the political organization of this system. And under its false light, everything is destroyed. Mm. What a genius. Yeah. What a genius. And if you, if, you, if you read other critics of this or art uh, people of this film, they never talk about these things. It's yeah. never mentioned. It's only, it's only by virtue of the fact that I understand the arcana that I can look at that and see, oh, this is what Picasso was doing. He was telling us the truth. And that is the responsibility of an artist, any artist, no matter what your art form is, your art is to represent the truth. No matter how great it is or no matter how horrible it is. Yeah. And in that, in that painting, it's all there. So everything that I just uh, uh, told you about is in the painting. And they are going to use this system to uh, completely fool the whole world. This Messiah may appear as some sort of savior to pull us out of this COVID crisis. Uh, God knows, I don't know. But it will be something like that. And if they call him an alien, that's in keeping with the, the system of the high magicians of the Kabbalah. And these are not the people whom you would consider normal Jews. The normal Jews don't know anything about these things, for the most part. They're just like good Catholics going to church every Sunday. Okay. Now, the difference between the Catholics and the Jews in this respect is that the normal Jew follows the systematic organization of evil, even though he doesn't understand it's evil. Okay, because he believes in the exceptionalism. And the belief in exceptionalism, that is what makes it evil. Because there, 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 there's nothing special about the Jew except that he's been chosen as the world, as mankind's nemesis. <laughs> okay and you know once they understand that the jew who understands that uh will become a muslim hmm. you see uh for example uh muhammad assad he understood he left okay and the best muslims uh that i've i've come across actually were former jews because they understand what came before <laughs> You see. So next question, sister. With all of the focus being turned on the vaccine, is it a distraction? Is it possible the vaccine will be pulled back to make people think they have succeeded in fighting medical tyranny? 
Could the vaccine be pulled back and an actual deadly pathogen released to make people further fear and uh, not question the system and to blame the quote unquote conspiracy theorists? Uh, all the above. <laughs> yes, all the above. Yeah, that's, a, that's an intelligent question because it's been thought out and all the possibilities have been, uh, have been consist considered by the questioner, okay? Um, you can't believe anything that they say about COVID and you can believe all of the negative potential and possibilities because they, they, these people don't hold back uh, on any possibility that will protect their uh, little behinds or big behinds. Um, they will use any method to create more and more chaos and to discredit their accusers. They're already uh, doing a pretty good job of discrediting, uh, at least to the pedestrian, discrediting their uh, accusers. But they're not, they're they're, their criticisms are not based on truth, not based on science. Based on, it's only based on popular belief. And the popular belief system is this right-hand path. You see, that's what it is. It's patriotism. And uh, the true patriots, the two true patriots are no longer part of the system, or they should not be part of the system, you see. Uh, the, true the true patriot will take off the uniform. Yeah. There's only one reason for the true patriot to stay in uniform, and that is to get as much as he possibly can out of the system to protect his people. That's the only reason to stay in the system. There's no other reason to stay in the system, and that's a form of takia. Okay, But most Muslims who are in the system are not doing that. They're just using the system to feed their own family and act like Mr. Big. <laughs> or Mrs. Big, whatever the case might be. You've been there, you've, you're, you're, you've, been a, you, you've been in the service, you know what it is. You know what these people do. You know how corrupt the, 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 the staff sergeants are. You know how corrupt the, 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 the sergeants are who have goodies <laughs> that the, the Uncle Sam likes to feed his soldiers. And mm -hmm. Uncle Sam, by the way, was the name Sam used in Uncle Sam comes from a Jew who first provisioned the Revolutionary Army. His name was Samuel, and he, gave, he showed up with his wagon or wagon train with all the goodies that the soldiers like. And that's where we get Uncle Sam, okay? So the whole country's been you know, taken for a ride, and this ride is upriver without a paddle, <laughs> okay? Uh, so, yeah, all the above. They, they will use, they, they're already using false science and they have recruited uh, enough people in positions of authority to push the false narrative through. Now, I have just read a paper today sent to me by uh, Brother Dawood in, um, uh, Brother Dawood Peacock in uh, England that gives a succinct synopsis of the complete fraud. It's the best paper I've seen written on it so far. I've been following it from a distance because I'm working on other matters that have to do with the mystery religion system. I'm in the final chapter of that book now. 
<laughs> so it has to do with sexology and the mystery of religion system. So um, David uh, is astute. He's a, he's, he's a very astute uh, uh, listener and uh, observer. And when, he, when I get an email from him, I always open it up because I, you know, nine times out of 10, there's going to be something worthwhile there. And um, uh, today I got, and yesterday I got that email and I'll send you a copy. Uh, I've made a PDF out of it, so I'll send you a copy soon. Um, but the, the whole COVID thing is a fraud. And is it, um, is it a magician's trick? It is, it's, it's, it's allowing the elite of the system to uh, pillage the entire world, you see. The middle class is being wiped out. Now they've been doing that steadily uh, for the last 50 years, uh, but this is the final blow. The middle class cannot survive not, not being able to do business because business is their income, you see. And you know they don't care about the lower class. They've already been enslaved anyway. But the middle class, they had the last vestiges of independence and that's being wiped out now across the board, across the board. Uh, so, you know, all of these uh, little mom and pop shops and the restaurant businesses, uh, restaurant tours, they're all closing down and whatever other kind of business you're thinking about, especially the farmers, uh, they won't survive this because they can't pay their, their debts and you know their debts are owed to the Jews. So, guess who's moving in to buy up all these uh, uh, failed failed business? The Jew and the Chinese. Okay. And if somebody says, "Oh, the Russians are buying this," I mean, no, it's the Russian mob, and the Russian mob is Jew. They are Shabbat, and they are the most sophisticated of the evil gangs on the face of the earth, next to the Jesuits. They're only outranked by the Jesuits because the Jesuits can muster the army against them anytime they want. <laughs> you see, so it depends on who's got the bigger guns. And uh, you know, so Chairman Mayo was correct. Uh, politics is one at the, the end of a gun, you see. Power is at the end of a gun. And so that's why they want to take them away, da, 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 da. You get the picture. So, yeah, they're using the COVID crisis uh, to scare people and to get people, everyone preoccupied with this, it serves multiple. It serves multiple purposes. It allows them to uh, uh, have an excuse to further restrict movement. It divides families. It uh, it separates uh, children from education. All of the traditional social uh, gatherings are being destroyed. You know, if you want to have a wedding party now, you have what? You have to go to local council to get permission? For God's sake, what is this, this Bolshevism? You know, they're, they're just little communists sitting there. You know, these, you imagine them all with a little goatee like Trotsky, you see, and, you know, going like this, yes, how can I help you today? <laughs> yes, oh my, my, you are a pretty thing. Yeah, you, you understand. You got, you've got the worst of you leading the best of you, okay? And they're all empowered by the gun. All of these uh, stupid fools who are saluting Madame Liberty in the flag. 
That's how it is. That's the reality. That's the truth. So if you want to regain the street, you have to take the uniform off or at least leave the uniform on and take all those damn patches off. <laughs> okay. You understand, sister, because uh, unless, there, unless there's a, a patent, unless there's a general patent at the he head of a third army here, there is no salvation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It ain't going to happen. Because that's the only thing that the Jew fears. He fears an armed rebellion because mm -hmm. every time there's an armed rebellion, there's a justified pogrom. Right. Okay. So that's what happens. And so they're trying to, you're using this thing to restrict everybody from any kind of um, organized activity. If you can't, if you're social distancing, you can't get together to organize, can you? <laughs> Nothing. They want to freeze everybody. They want to not only freeze everybody's will mentally, but also physically. Okay. And they're using COVID to do that. And while they're freezing everybody's will and destroying tradition, destroying the traditional zeitgeist, whatever's left of righteousness in it, they are organizing all the legal instruments that they need to do a cross-border uh, uh, FEMA camp all over the world. That's what's taking place. That's what this crisis is all about. And the, end, the upshot is their goal is they want to tag everybody with the mark of the beast. Now, we talked about the mark of the beast in Guernica, but this mark of the beast is uh, going to be some sort of an implant. Okay. It will be implanted by the vaccine or it's even being implanted by the testing. Okay. Uh, because in these test kits, especially the one with the nasal swabs, they, concern, they contain nanobots. And these nanobots can enter the brain through the piriform complex at the uh, base of the nose because the membrane there, the bone is very thin and it's, uh, there's a rich blood supply that goes right into the brain and will seed the entire body with these things. That's why they had these long stick. You don't need a nasal swab go all the way up there. You want a nasal swab, you can just write right inside the nose, pickle your nose for God's sake. Yeah, that's, that's all you need. <laughs> you don't need to go poking up in there. They're doing that purposely to implant these nanobots. So it's not just the vaccine. The vaccines will be different for different segments of the population, different regions. That's why you have one vaccine from one company, another one from another company. They will all be seeded with different forms of RNA and DNA that can be, that, that target different ethnic groups, as I've discussed before, the groups that they don't like. Okay, the groups that they consider completely and totally expendable, you know, and then later they want to reserve these nanobots, you see, for those people left over who perhaps after they're finally corralled and uh, realize what's happened, they might want to rebel then. It'll be easy, easier to kill them, you see. Uh, so they can target them with the five and G six systems, or maybe there's some sort of poison that's already in 
the system. You don't need very much cyanide to, uh, to kill somebody. Uh, tiny micro dots, enough. You know? So you can put it in one of these implants and have the implant explode uh, or just release it with the push of a keyboard button. And that's the end of Mr. So-and-so. You just turn their oxygen off with 5G. You see, that's what it's all about. They want absolute control. Why? Because they're afraid. <laughs> These people are afraid. The only people who want absolute control, the control freak, is someone who fears, who lives in fear. Why do they live in fear? Well, because they know the death angel's coming. <laughs> Deep in their fetra, they know it. So at, some of them are idealists, and they believe that this is the best way to save the earth. <laughs> well, the earth is a bit like the rock of Abraham sitting up there on the mount, you see, this, uh, the, 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 what they call the Temple Mount. That rock's been there for 5,000 years. It doesn't need your help. <laughs> it doesn't need our help. You want to build a house over it? That's okay. The rock really doesn't care, and neither does Allah. Okay, that's just religious piety. Yeah, it's not necessary. Matter of fact, the rock probably prefers to see the open heavens. If there's anything left of a living spirit in that rock, it would prefer to see the stars. I mean, if I were a rock, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking here. It's something that Muslims don't do. Muslims are just following, aren't they? They're practicing taklid. That's what the whole world is doing in the right-hand path, governed by the left-hand path initiates. Muhammad warned us. The prophet, he warned us, sister. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's my answer to that question. You have another one? Um, do you have time for one more? Sure, one more, and then we'll call it a day. Okay. So is pornography a modern-day manifestation of some of these uh, mystery religions' rights? No, not necessarily. It's a it's, it's, well, it's a continuation. You see, <clears throat> in, um, if, if you were to go back to the days of Pompeii and go visit one of your relatives and sit down in your aunt's kitchen, likely on her kitchen wall would be a mural of, uh, of a man and woman having sex. And uh, maybe up on the cupboard, there would be a, an idol of Priapus. You know, a little man with a, a ten-inch phallus. You see, uh, this uh, this was normal. Okay, is it part of the mystery religion system? Yes and no, because uh, immodesty was normal amongst these people. <clears throat> now, you can say, "Oh well, what you know," but the Romans were officially not that way. No, they weren't. Officially, they were not immodest, but privately they were, you see. Um, 
And uh, certainly if you went to the Roman circles and uh, Roman circus uh, uh, and, and saw a bunch of uh, baboons having sex with them, uh, uh, virgins who were slaves and uh, they had been, uh, they had their privates um, prepared with um, the female urine of baboons, female uh, baboons. Then they let a whole bunch of male baboons in there. You see, this was what they did. That's certainly not modest and savage, okay? So you have this mixture of immodesty with modesty and savagery all at the same time. <coughs> In a certain extent, you can say, oh, well, at least people were honest about these things. And they weren't pretending that sex didn't exist. You see, uh, a lot of your organized religions under the right-hand path, they don't discuss sex, do they? No. Not really. Uh, the, the, the whole matter of sexology uh, and, and true approach to uh, sex uh, and, uh, is something that was handed down. I mean, certainly Adam and Eve, they knew about these things and they knew what each other needed and required. I mean, when you jump into bed with your husband or wife, even the first time around, you pretty much have an idea of what to do. And as things progress, uh, no one really needs to begin to perform in a natural way, according to what is already in you, placed there by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this speaks to us of uh, modesty speaks to us, not of any restraint of sexual activity, but to restrain it to the marriage bed. You see, that's where it belongs. It doesn't belong out on the street in public because, well, why? Because that gets people excited, it even gets women excited. You know, a woman can be on her way to, to market and she could, she could, stand, she could uh, pass by some naked slave with a really handsome looking phallus and get some ideas, you see. This is, this is not, it is, so it's not just for men, okay? Women are just as sexual as men are, but uh, uh, they talk about it less. Maybe they talk about it more amongst themselves. I don't know, I'm not a woman. I've never been in those conversations. But I know as a doctor uh, and as an experienced married man, that women are just as sexual as men are, okay? But they need a different approach, you see? So this whole idea of sexuality and the knowledge that comes with sexuality. Now imagine Adam and Eve, let's go back to the original marriage bed. And, uh, you know, after uh, several years, the child comes of age. Well, by then Adam and Eve know each other pretty well. And they know everything they need to know pretty much about uh, uh, sexology, you see. And so they have a couple of kids and uh, Adam teaches the son and Eve teaches the daughter, okay? That's the way it should be. Generation to generation to generation to generation. This is not being done anymore. It's not being done. Okay, when I was a boy, uh, my father had a sexual, had a sexology conversation with me. It went a bit like this. 
he said, you know, that thing you got between your legs, you, he said, you know what to do with it when you're with a girl? And I said, I think so, Dad. He said, well, how'd you learn about that? I said, well, you know, the guys in the locker room, they talk about it all the time. And he said, good. He said, now, if you ever get that feeling and you want to do it, he said, just go into the bathroom and use your hand. Okay. He said, I don't want any trouble with any other, with any girl coming to my door being pregnant. You got it? And I said, yeah, Dan, I got it. And uh, that was the end of my sexology education with my father. Okay. Nothing else, absolutely nothing else. Not another word was said. Okay. This is not a sex education. And so this education about the whole matter is not being handled in a proper way, not even amongst Muslims. Okay. Not to my knowledge. Almost every Muslim that I've uh, had a conversation with uh, on an intimate basis, on a private basis about these matters has remained ignorant. Okay. Ignorant. They were ignorant about the whole thing. That's why one of the reasons I wrote the book, I'll say, uh, because this ignorance has to be erased. It's part of bringing the rule together with the intellect, <laughs> you see. And this is a fundamental area of um, uh, human existence. It's fundamental. It's the core. Okay. As I've said, we're driven to this act and we have to submit to it because we have no other choice. It's not something we can control. The only way to control it is through marriage. Okay, so um, in the old days, in the days of these mystery religions, promiscuity was common. And they actually had the annual events, for example, Saturnalia. In Saturnalia, everything was reversed. The um, uh, the homeless man became king and uh, the king became slave for a day and any woman who walked on the street was open game to any man. And not only that, but murder was accepted and not prosecuted for a period of two weeks. So if you had a grudge against your neighbor, you could kill them and get away with it. This was Saturnalia. <laughs> And now it's, it's what we call Christmas, you see. So Rome wasn't the only one. I mean, Saturnalia did not begin with Rome. It began in other places. But these kinds of activities were an open promiscuity was common in those days. And it became, as, as, as the world became more Jewified or Christianized or whatever you want to call it, moralized in certain cultures, not all, uh, this kind of promiscuity had to retreat behind, uh, you know, behind private walls. And so, uh, and it became associated, the, the orgy, for example, was always associated with some aspect of the mystery religion. Now it's associated with actual satanic ritual. But it was always satanic ritual, whether it was public or private, doesn't make any difference. Um, there are certain of the mysteries 
that were persecuted by the Rome, Romans at one time because of this uh, because of this approach. Not all Romans were like this. Romans were almost all open to you know the statue of Priapus or some open representation of copulation, but not to the actual performance of promiscuity. Okay, that was something that was done privately. I mean, if you had a slave, she was yours. Muslims feel the same way. If you have a slave, she's yours. Okay, so uh, that's pretty much it. So this new approach to pornography is a way to destroy the culture. Even if your culture is pretentious, this pornography, open pornography is going to destroy it. It will even destroy the pretension. Okay, and it's a way to divide husband from wife. Okay, so it's, it's just, it's just, it's one of those things. And, and the Jews, I hate to say they keep on coming back to the Jews, but they're responsible for it. Okay, the Jews and the Catholics used to, the, the church used to own the bordellos. And all of the bordellos from the medieval period onward, the uh, were, were close to the uh, cathedral. So the priest could uh, keep tabs on everything and collect the wages. <laughs> see? And uh, uh, the Jews uh, were the ones who brought in the women. You see, the, the Jews were always in charge of promiscuity. And now if you talk to any uh, Jews who is relatively informed, they all, they all acknowledge that Jews uh, pretty much run Hollywood and promiscuity and, 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 and pornography. They own it. It's a moneymaker, a big moneymaker. Okay, so this is how they destroy culture. And they only come to power by subverting culture, subverting higher cultures. For example, the Chinese culture <coughs> never had this kind of promiscuity, not openly. Now they had their tea houses and the Japanese had their geisha girls, but this was, this was very organized, okay? And modesty was assigned to the home. So if the man went out to the, to the tea house, nobody discussed what he was doing. Oh, he's at the tea house. Oh, he's gone to see Madame so-and-so at the Geisha house. This was expected of a gentleman in those cultures. But in their families, promiscuity was not permitted, okay? The wife couldn't do this sort of thing. Their, their family was uh, always properly ordered. They may have had uh, the, the, the more uh, 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 the, the, the higher forms of uh, their 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 governorship, they 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 had their uh, they had their other women, other wives. The emperor always had other wives and uh, whatnot, but uh, the lower, the the man in the street did not. It was very expensive to go to the geisha house or to the tea house. You see, so for the most part the man in the street couldn't afford to be sinful, <laughs> just couldn't afford it. Uh, but now it's very affordable, you see, it's not, not a big deal. The Jews brought the price down. They increased the market share. <laughs> and this god awful thing, you know, with, uh, with uh, child por pornography and uh, slavery, that's a whole different matter. So it's a way to destroy the culture. It's a way to destroy uh, righteousness. And uh, it's also a way to destroy 
uh, uh, men uh, who are trying to do their best because uh, uh, the nafs is always there. It's very easy to get seduced, very easy. So you have to keep your guard up. And that's what the Muslim authority is supposed to be doing. They're going around it. They're going about it in the wrong way, to my, in my mind. But um, uh, this modesty has to be protected. It's core to Islam, you see. It's core. If it's not being protected, then you've got another problem. So sexuality has to be limited by the marriage, by the marriage bed, okay? Then what I and my wife do in the marriage bed is nobody's business, okay? So, and what you and your husband do is nobody's business, okay? How you satisfy each other, look, I know, okay? And he knows, everybody knows. But how to go about it in the right way, not everybody knows, you see, for, uh, because this, this knowledge has not been hand, handed down. And why this knowledge should be handed down in the proper way is not being discussed. And that's what I've written in my book, my new book, inshallah. So with that, sister, I'll leave that question and we can probably bring it to an end today because I know you are tired Dear lady, you need to get some sleep before those little monsters got, wake up. Huh? <laughs> so I will say farewell to you for right now. Okay. All right. Well, thank for you this for opportunity. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.